Hey, it's great to be together today. Welcome to Hope City Branch. We are so glad that you're here. We want to know, uh, want you to know that there is a place for you here. Maybe not physically all the time if you're sitting on a bench on the back wall right now. Spiritually, emotionally, a part of our church family, there is a place for you, and we're working on the physical part. So uh, you are always welcome. Keep inviting your friends. Uh, that's why we're here to connect people to Jesus. So keep inviting uh, your friends. Um, my name is John. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I would love to, and uh, I'll be kind of hanging out towards the back afterwards. I'd love to just meet you and, and touch base with you after worship. So um, I don't know if you've noticed, it's a little cold outside. The good news is that even though it's freezing outside, uh, God is still on the move, is he not? God is absolutely on the move, and he's here today. And um, the funny thing is, um, you can go to that next slide. I, this wasn't this week, but I, I found this um, on the internet. So, I mean, it's a similar forecast to this week, so um, look out for Tuesday. I don't know what KCCI is doing, but... Um, Gosh, you can't make that stuff up. It's just right there. I can't even read it. A hot and balmy, sticky day or something like that. So we'll see you on Tuesday. We're going to have outdoor worship on Tuesday, I guess. That's awesome. So who knows? Maybe we'll have a heat wave this week. So there's hope. What did we just sing? There's a light at the end of the tunnel, right? Okay. Um, God is on the move. And I, 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 love, I love watching God change lives. That's why we're here transform lives. And, um, and, and I'm also very excited today. Uh, we're starting a new sermon series called Turning the World Right Side Up at all of our campuses in West Des Moines and at North Branch in Ankeny. Turning the world right side up, which may that sound a, a little bit strange. Turning the world right side up. That's not how we normally would phrase that. But as we begin this, this journey through the New Testament and especially through the, the teachings of Jesus, in the Gospels over the next few weeks, I think we'll begin to see that the message of Jesus and the message of uh, the, the popular message that's out there today in, in our culture and in the world, they don't exactly line up all the time. In fact, they bump heads quite a bit. That, but not just Jesus against the world, but Jesus' words line up against our lives. What happens when the words of Jesus line up against your decisions? against your lifestyle, against your finances, against your marriage, against your relationships, that maybe God's going to show you something new these weeks. Even if you've read the Gospels a thousand times, I pray that over the next month or so, as we're digging into the Gospels specifically, that God would blow our minds. How many times do we come to worship and say, it's just another Sunday? I know that I do that sometimes. I'm guilty of that sometimes. But my prayer for all of us as a church this week is that we would never give up giving God a chance to blow our minds. Are you open to that this morning? Yes. yes. Awesome. I wasn't even expecting an answer, but okay, awesome. I guess I got to preach it now. So um, God can blow our minds. God is capable of changing lives. And you know that, and that's why you're here. So, um, what do you do, in this case, when we read Jesus' words, what do you do when the words of, of your leader, our leader, Jesus, what do you do when the words of your leader seem to be a paradox? What do you, what do, you do with that? When they when the, just don't seem to make sense. It doesn't take long in our scripture for today that Kathy read for us from Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The what? 
Blessed are the poor in spirit and, and blessed are those who are persecuted. This doesn't make sense. It seems like a paradox. And in fact, most of chapter 5, if you go on and read it, Jesus' words and the words of the popular culture at the time don't match up. So something's got to give. It seems like a paradox. It must be false, right? Well, actually, I did a little bit of theological study this week and I turned to the great theologian himself, Dr. Webster. And in his book of words, he says this, a paradox is a statement that is seemingly contradictory or opposed to common sense, and usually we stop right there, and yet is perhaps true. That's a very important part of that phrase, and Webster might be on to something here because it's precisely that perhaps true part that I would like to focus on today. What if the radical words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, and in fact all throughout the Gospels, what if they weren't just nice little Christian sayings that we hang on our wall, but what if they were perhaps true? And what if they had the power to turn your world upside down today? In fact, I'm excited to be a little challenged myself over the next few months as we explore the New Testament together, because I actually believe that, that what we'll find is though... Um, although our leader, this carpenter from Nazareth, although he seems a little bit crazy, the message of the Gospels, the message of Jesus, is the biggest yet truest paradox in the history of the world. You tracking with me? Everything we read seems to be contradictory or opposed to common sense. Die? and you'll live? That doesn't make a lot of sense. Lose your life and you'll gain it? That doesn't make a lot of sense. What if the radical words of Jesus were true and that they need to sort of reshape us a little bit? And at the center of Jesus' message is the heartbeat of that entire paradox, and that's what I want to talk about today, is the kingdom. Is the kingdom. Because everybody loves to be a king. When you were growing up, and just admit it, because the kids are gone now, just admit it, there's nothing to hide. Did you love going to Burger King just so you could get the Burger King crown? Just, come on, come on, come on. Four of you are, are authentic today. So, um, you did. Um, I don't know if it's just me. Does anybody find the Burger King extremely creepy? Yes. Yeah. And he's for kids. Hide your kids, shelter them from the Burger King. Anyway, that's not my point. I'm, this is actually a part of the sermon. So we love kings. And sometimes I would go to Burger King as I would ask my mom to go to Burger King just so I could get the crown and feel like a king. The food always tasted better with the little crown on your head. Some of you are saying, I'm going to go this afternoon. Um, so for an eight-year-old, you're pretty big stuff if you've got a king's crown on your head. You look like a king, and as far as you were concerned, you were a real king. You were the king of your own domain until you lost your crown in the minivan, and then your mom threw it away. And then you weren't so much the king anymore, because eventually we know that whether it's the Burger King or any other king, all earthly kingdoms, all earthly powers are eventually going to pass away. And for a normal, everyday peasant in Jesus' day, one of the crowds, one of the people that would follow Jesus around, that would be really good news. 
that would be really, really good news. Because you see, we really can't talk about Matthew 5 until we know the story that Matthew is telling. And that story in Matthew 5, where we read our scripture for today, is set right in the middle of an empire. Right in the middle of a kingdom that is ruled not by the creepy Burger King, but is ruled by Caesar. King Caesar. As far as Rome was concerned, Caesar was Lord. So it would be a little heretical to come along and say, I am the Lord. You have to understand the context. As far as the empire was concerned, Caesar's kingdom, the Roman kingdom, was the final authority in your life above anything else. And anyone that dared to come along and say, there's a different kingdom? There's a different king? Anybody who dared to say that was either one of two things, either a lunatic or God. And that sets the stage for our story today. Enter a rabbi who's slowly gaining some popularity around the countryside, and he's a, he used to be a carpenter from Nazareth. And turns out he's a pretty good teacher, and so he comes onto the scene right in the middle of the kingdom, right in the middle of the empire, and says this, and let's read this together, one of Jesus' very first words that comes out of his mouth in his ministry. Let's read this together. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Whoa! Wait a minute. The kingdom of who? Caesar? No. The kingdom of God. And repent? Who says those kind of things? Who is capable of forgiving sins? There's no, the people that are hearing this are saying, there's no good news around here. The only kingdom we know is an oppressive kingdom, under an oppressive king. You mean there's another kingdom? I thought this was just the way that things are. My circumstances in my life right now, things are just always going to be that way. That's what you kind of get stuck in. Ever been there? I thought this is just the way things are. Because some king's been ruling over your life, and it's not that king. Have you ever thought that in your life? Maybe this is just the way things are. Maybe you're living in some other reality today. Maybe you've been building your own kingdom recently. And that little Burger King crown, maybe it's a little bit deeper than that. And so Jesus says to us today, repent. Turn around because a new day has come. The true king has come. Now, think about this. If you're Jesus, probably the last thing that you want to do as a new king on the scene, there is a king, he's in power, he has armies, he has power, he has might, he has the capability of killing you if he wants. And so if you're a new king on the scene, probably the last thing that you want to do is be caught in public, making a scene, giving a sermon perhaps. But that's exactly what Jesus does, setting the stage for quite possibly the most paradoxical teaching ever. And so if you've got your Bibles open, keep them open to Matthew chapter 5. And here we find the Sermon on the Mount. And in our scripture for today, we know as well, we know it as the Beatitudes. And the English word Beatitude comes from the Latin word beatus. That's my Latin, beatus. You kind of have to go like this when you say it. Beatus. Now, and basically that means blessed. So the Beatitudes means a list of blessed. 
what it means to be blessed. Now, if you're, maybe even if you're new to the church today, or maybe if you've been around for a long time, or maybe you've been away from the church for a while, you probably recognize the Beatitudes, right? They, most scholars would, would put the Beatitudes right up there with the Ten Commandments and the 23rd Psalm and, and the Lord's Prayer. They're, they're familiar teachings. They're famous teachings. And as Christians, we love to study the Beatitudes, and we buy books about them, and we engrave the Beatitudes on plaques, and we hang them in our churches, and we hang them on the walls of our homes. But the question still remains, how do we live in response to them? What do the Beatitudes mean for us today? And this is a really, really important question. It's not just a theological question. It's a matter of life and death. Because it turns out, just like a lot of other passages in Scripture, when we assume that we know what Jesus is saying, we can get into a lot of trouble, and then we just kind of take this baggage and we dump it on people. And we say, well, that's what the Beatitude means, so deal with it. And this happens. This happens. There's a story of a lady uh, that I read that, that came up to a pastor. He had just given a sermon on the Beatitudes, and, and she was so thrilled to hear that the Beatitudes are actually good news. And she had great relief. And she said, oh, pastor, I'm so relieved. And the pastor said, well, why? Well, she went on to say that her son had left the church because of the Beatitudes. <laughs> With its list of the poor, the sad, totally pure and perfect, truly humble people were the picture of an ideal Christian. And so he explained to his, his mom, I got to leave because I could never be like that. I don't fit in here. Jesus says, this is the list. And I look at that list and I say, no matter how hard I try, I could never do that. So I wonder today, is that it? Is that all that Jesus gave us? Just a list, and then he says, be like that. Good luck. And you may say, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I've learned my whole life, right? The Beatitudes are a list of what you need to do to be a good Christian, right? That's kind of the common understanding. Do these things, and then Jesus says you'll get into the kingdom. That's how it works, right? Well, unfortunately, that's the majority view, and that was my view of the Beatitudes for a long time, but I have to wonder... Jesus said that the kingdom brings good news. But what is such good news about a list of strange and seemingly unattainable character traits? What is so good about that? Jesus moved heaven and earth to come and live amongst us so he could say, do this better. That doesn't seem right to me. And to, so to find out what's really going on in the Beatitudes, it would be helpful to discover what Jesus was doing while he gave the Beatitudes. What Jesus thinks they're about rather than what we think they're about. So often we just look at the message of Jesus and we look at the content of it, but we don't look at Jesus' method of ministry. I challenge you to do that sometime. If those of you that are just kind of, the Bible's just kind of, it, it's kind of lacking its flavor right now. Go through the Gospels and look at Jesus' method of ministry. I mean, what he says is pretty good too. He's a pretty good preacher. Uh, look at his method of ministry. You want to effectively reach out to people? Read the Gospels, not just for content, but for context and method. And that's what I think is going to help us here. How did he do ministry? So when people ask Jesus, what is the kingdom? Jesus rarely gave theological dissertations. He tells us 
what it's like when the kingdom of God is on the move. He tells stories. He gives a description. Flip back with me one chapter to Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to tie all this together. And we're going to see what Jesus is up to right before he gives the Sermon on the Mount. This seems to be chronological. Matthew chapter 4 in verse 23, it says this. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. He's a busy dude. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Jesus is busy. Jesus rarely offered theological proofs. He simply went around transforming lives. Because we know that you can have theological debates all day long, but you can't argue with a changed life. And that was true back then, and that's true today. You cannot walk into a church today and say, well, that's not real. Because <laughs> the only person that knows it's truly real is you, because your life has been changed by God. You can't argue with changed lives, and that's what Jesus spent most of his time doing. Jesus went around transforming lives. His teaching, in other words, what he does in Matthew chapter 4, and then what he does in Matthew chapter 5, is a giant show and tell. Do you remember show and tell? Does anybody remember show and tell from school? Awesome. So you bring in, uh, I'm going to butcher this, you bring in your, your baseball glove or your comic book or maybe, I don't know, you brought in your pet hamster or something. I don't know. I, but the whole point is that you don't only tell about it, you show it. You make it happen. You make it come to life. You don't just talk about your favorite jump rope. You jump. You don't just talk about the hamster the hamster does some tricks for you. It's show and tell. He does tricks and, and telling and showing, but the showing is what makes you believable. So with that in mind, we go back to the story. Matthew chapter 4 is the show. Jesus is busy. People's lives are being changed. Jesus wasn't answering the question, what is the kingdom, by telling them about it in Matthew chapter 4. He was answering the question of the kingdom by showing them what the kingdom is like. People get healed. Lives get changed. Worlds get turned upside down. My words collide with your lives. So flip back now to Matthew chapter 5. Chapter 4 is the show. Chapter 5 is the tell. Jesus was the greatest teacher ever because he understood that we didn't just need to hear about it. We needed to see it. That is the greatest evangelism that you could ever do when you're talking to people is say, this is who I was, this is what God did, and this is who I am because of him. That is the most powerful message you could ever give, and you don't have to be a biblical scholar to do it. Show and tell. And now a huge crowd is gathered around Jesus. So now we're in Matthew chapter 5. Does that make sense now, now that we're there? Who do you suppose the big crowd is that gathered around Jesus? It's the people from Matthew chapter 4. 4 goes right into 5. The same people that had just experienced the kingdom. That same huge crowd that was around Jesus who he had touched and healed and looked into their eyes and spent time with them. The left out, the left behind, the leftovers, the beggars, the crippled, the diseased, those who had seen these things happen. That's the crowd that Jesus is now giving the Sermon on the Mount to. Jesus is standing amongst 
the scum of the earth. These people that are wandering around the countryside and probably a few religious people in their robes that want to kind of know what's going on. Because this guy's gaining popularity. He's standing amongst the people that he just touched, who were just touched by the hands of God. And because of that, they were blessed. And so it would make sense to start out his sermon with, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who mourn, those who are meek. And if you're one of those people, Jesus is speaking directly to you. In other words, Jesus starts off his sermon with, is anybody looking for life? Is anybody looking for the good life? Is anybody here asking, is there more to life than this? If you're left out, left behind, left over, if you feel like you've been kicked to the curb, Jesus is looking at you and saying, do you think that there's hope beyond what you're experiencing today? And so for the broken and the needy that are gathered there that day, a good question is, are you more likely to listen to someone who preaches at you about new life? Or are you more likely to listen to someone who just got done giving you your life back? Big difference. I'm going to listen to the guy that just changed my life no matter how good a preacher he is. And so, what if it wasn't about the crowd that was gathered with Jesus that day and us here in Des Moines, Iowa today? What if you were there in the crowd that day? What if, what if you were on that hill today feeling exactly what you're feeling right now? Right now in your life here in 2011. Maybe you came to City Branch today. Maybe you came to the crowd that day and you're feeling tired and you're feeling stressed, and you're feeling burned out, and you're feeling frustrated, and you're feeling confused, and you're feeling lonely, and you're feeling overwhelmed. Maybe today you're sitting there, and you're just, I've just been disconnected from God for so long. And so what Jesus said to the crowd is what I want to say to you today. Is there anybody out there that needs some hope today? Is there anybody out there that needs a second chance? Or maybe you're like the son in the story that says, I, I've just kind of given up on my Christian walk because it's something I could never attain. And so you, just like so many of the people there that day, you see Jesus up on the hill and you've heard that he has the capability to heal and to change your life. And so you push your way to the front of the crowd and you work your way up and there he is, just this common, everyday, ordinary looking guy with a beard and maybe he smells a little bit and he looks like you. He's not a king. Caesar's the king. He's got the big robes and a hat and, 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 and a sword, and he rules over us. And now you push your way to the front of the crowd, and here's this rabbi that's sitting among the scum of the earth, who's sitting among... What kind of a king does that? A servant leader. A servant king. And you crawl to the front of the crowd just in time to see the rabbi and you're in the front row and so this rabbi looks you in the eyes and he starts giving this sermon and he says this directly to you. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope because when there's less of you, there's more room for God. You're blessed when you feel lo you've lost what is most dear to you because only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. Because that's the moment you find yourselves 
proud owners of everything that can't be bought. A little different take from the message translation there. But to the crowd that day and to us here today, Jesus says, you are blessed. You're going to make it today, not because you found the kingdom, but because the kingdom found you. That's the message of the Beatitudes. Jesus didn't say, blessed are the poor in spirit because they are poor in spirit. (laughs) Jesus says to us today, when, when you and I come to him, just as we are, we take off the makeup, we take off the mask, we take off the pretending, we are blessed, not because we're in those circumstances, but because the kingdom of God has the power to break into your circumstances, just like it did that day to the crowd, and just like it can right now, here, today, for you. That's what the Beatitudes mean. Because God and his reign and his kingdom, not Burger King, not Caesar King, Jesus as king breaks into your world and meets you right where you're at today. Do you know that? Or you've just decided this is just the way things are. I've experienced everything that I'm going to experience in my walk with God. So what difference would it make? I want to ask you this question and let it soak in for a second. What difference would it make if Jesus never meant the Beatitudes to be a list of commandments? We already have a list of those. What if he never meant the Beatitudes to be a list of commandments, but instead a list of promises? That's a big, big difference. But if you're anything like me, that's not the way that we live most of the time. As Christians, we love our lists. We love to make lists of things that we can accomplish to make us feel better. We love our lists and we love our ladders. We love to make our lists. And so we think to ourselves, I want to be a good Christian. There's nobody in this room that doesn't want to be a good Christian. Every single one of us, just like the crowd that was gathered around Jesus that day, is saying, what's the secret to happiness? What is the answer to my problems? What should I do to live a good Christian life? When will I arrive in life? When will I be good enough? What is that mark? So we chase that elusive life. When is it that I'm going to be fully satisfied? We love our lists. Seven keys to this. Ten steps to that. And so we start looking through Scripture and we say... Oh, it's the fruits of the Spirit. It's a list. I love lists. This must be a list of things that I need to do to be good enough. And so we look at the fruits of the Spirit and we say, okay, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Okay, um, what if I just try to be a little bit more loving? Let's see, uh, a little bit more joyful, a little bit more peaceful. Maybe I can conjure up some patience even if I don't have any. Um, Oh, goodness, um, goodness, I'm a pretty good person. Yeah, I don't have to worry about that one. Um, Ooh, but here's another list, Matthew chapter 5. Oh, no. There's more qualifications. Oh my word, now I have to be poor. I have to be pure in heart. Maybe if I try a bit harder, um, I could be a peacemaker. Um, Ooh, I I guess I have to become a crazy Christian now so maybe I can get persecuted. I'll put that on my list for this week. Get persecuted. Um, Because that's on the list. And we all know that God likes justice, so I need to do a lot of social justice and then I'll earn it. And I know that Jesus is poor, so to be a good Christian, I should probably sell all my stuff. 
Uh, Jesus loved the earth, cared for creation. I should probably go green, and that would be a good thing to put on. Jesus was kind of a rebel, so maybe I should just embrace that social fad. And, 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 the, and the Beatitudes, that's what it's all about. And so I climb, and I climb, and then I mess up, and then I climb some more. I'm getting my exercise for the day. And then I climb some more, and I got to do the fruits of the Spirit, and I got to do the Beatitudes, and we climb, and we climb, and we climb. And pretty soon what happens is that translates into, well, if I just, if I just pray more, and if I just read my Bible more, and if I just go to church more, and if I just serve more, and if I join a, a Bible study, and if I stay really, really busy, that's what the church, that's what John said to do, is get involved. If I just stay really busy, then I'll be blessed. But somehow, that climbing just gets really old. And I don't care if it's a ladder or a treadmill or whatever you call it. That's not good news to me. I don't know about you, but I want a God for today. I want a God for today. What's so good about the good news? Well, it turns out that Jesus got the most upset in fact, Jesus got furious with people that saw their relationship with God like a ladder. He got furious with people that said, you have to be good enough. And these people were known as Pharisees. In fact, Jesus, when he's furious, even says to them, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you tie heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on people's shoulders. Listen to what Jesus says to them. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Oh, Jesus, meek and mild. Your God is a warrior. And he reserved his fiercest, his fiercest arguments for those people that shut the door of the kingdom in people's faces because they weren't good enough. Jesus goes to battle for you and says, that's not what it's about. Because the, the, the truth of the matter is, Jesus says to you today, what is it that the Beatitudes mean? You think you know what they mean, but, but that's not it. But I also wonder if we are the Pharisees sometimes. And instead of putting those burdens on other people's backs, we're the Pharisees that put them on our own backs. And pretty soon the Beatitudes become legalism. What do the Beatitudes mean for us? Well, they're not instructions on how to be blessed. In fact, I think you'll come to find that the Beatitudes are not instructions on anything. They are a demonstration of the kingdom that is available right here, right now, through Jesus Christ. A kingdom where the empty can get filled up. A kingdom where you can cry and cry and cry, and it's okay because death has no power. It's a kingdom where your good works don't give you a pure heart. The blood of Jesus Christ gives you a pure heart. But at their core, the Beatitudes don't promise pleasure. They don't promise a life free of pain. They don't promise success necessarily or prosperity. Being blessed by God means that you're experiencing hope and joy that's independent of any circumstance that you might find yourself in. You want to find the secret to happiness today? Then find yourself hope and joy that's going to last forever, and you're only going to find those things in the person of Jesus Christ. And what he did on the cross. You could read the, whoa, you could read the Beatitudes a thousand times. You could study the Beatitudes to your blue in the face. 
You could try your entire life to go up and down that ladder and try to accomplish them. And you could miss the entire point of the Beatitudes, the author, the speaker, your Savior and Lord. Jesus even said to the Pharisees once, and and I want to courageously say this to you today if this is you. You study the scriptures so diligently because you think that in them you'll find eternal life. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You refuse to come to me to have life. Not your ladder, whatever that may be, me. And that's the whole point of grace, is that the price has already been paid. I want to end with a quick story. Really experienced grace the last couple of weeks. My wife and I were having some uh, breakfast a couple weeks ago with some friends at IHOP. Is anybody IHOP fans? Not the International House of Prayer International House of Pancakes. Pancake fans? Okay, so we were in Ankeny and uh, checking in in our North Branch uh, friends. And we were just ready to ask for the ticket. And so a different waitress, not our own waitress, comes up to our table and and says, "Um, excuse me, but um, do you know the the Smiths? That's not their name, but their name has been changed to protect the innocent. Um, Do you know the Smiths? And we were like, oh, no, we're probably going to end up paying... Some punk kids ran off, and we're probably going to end up paying their check. And, and so we said, no, no, we don't know the Smiths, we said. And the waitress said, well, they've, uh, they've covered all your meals. You're, you're set. And then she walked away. And I looked down, and on the back of the receipt, it says, Happy New Year from your Hope family at North Branch. How cool is that? Props to North Branch. I mean, you're awesome. I tell you that all the time, but yay for hope. So here I am sitting there in the booth with this other couple and my wife, and I'm, I'm the strong, independent male. I'm ready to not only pay for our ticket, but pay for their ticket to just show how good and strong I am. And now I'm sitting there with this strange feeling of helplessness. There's nothing I could do. It's already been taken care of. Now imagine how ridiculous I would have looked if I would have ran up and tapped the waitress on the back and said, um, I know it's already been paid, but can I pay for it again? Uh, no. That would be stupid, right? Pointless. All I could do that day was trust that what she said was true and live in it. And so I had this choice. I could live like the price had already been paid or I could still act like there was something I could do and keep running on the ladder and so we chose the first we got up and we left free didn't even stop at the register free free that's the invitation of the kingdom to trust that we don't owe anything to trust that the performance has already been taken care of for us, to trust that grace pays the bill. And so if the Beatitudes tell us anything today, they say it's a great day. It's a great day to stop 
trying to be good enough because you're never going to be. And today is a great day to let God come to you on his terms, to stop running up and down the ladder and take your ladder, whatever that may be, and put it where it belongs, at the foot of the cross. Because the fact of the matter is, we live in a different kind of kingdom. We don't live in a kingdom where you have to run up and down to try to get your way to God. We live in the kind of kingdom where the king, where the king himself came walking down the ladder to us. For God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So lay it down today. Whatever it is, lay it down. And when we lay it down at the foot of the cross, we find that at the foot of the cross, there's room for everyone. We love to make our lists and we love to drop our lines and say, you're out and you're in. But Jesus says at the foot of the cross, there is room for everyone. And that includes you, whether you're desperate for grace today or whether you're sitting there today and you're just saying, I'm fine. I know the ticket's been paid, but I'd rather pay it myself too. And Jesus says to you, okay, lay it down. Lay it down. The kingdom is here and the kingdom is for you. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together.